I'd like to expand the prayer now to include uh, the entire church and the entire deaconship. We want to pray for, we've already talked about praying for Russ. We want to lift him up as the leader. We want to pray for Troy, Jeremy, Brendan, Cole, uh, Andy, and Brian, and Kyle. Please guide them, direct them, protect them, and help them as they do their service to our church and help us to help them. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Sir, go get them. You bet. Well, congratulations to both of you. If you of the church have any questions or concerns, uh, don't bother me with them. Go to Brian and Kyle. Just a joke. Just kidding. There are some things that we need to keep in mind as we go through this time of year. Uh, a lot of things happening. You can see this on your screen behind me. Uh, general announcements. Vacation Bible School is coming up, and if you want to sign up to help for, with Vacation Bible School, please, please, please sign up before June 11th. June 11th. Boom. That's the, that's the cutoff. It really helps us out a bunch. Uh, there's forms you can fill out, one, one form per person. That way we make sure we get enough T-shirts and so forth. All right. But we start ordering some, some other things on June 11th. So by June 11th, if you could please sign up for that. Also, on the 20th, we have a work day. Saturday the 20th, a VBS work day. Sometimes there's some big projects, sometimes a lot of small ones. Uh, but if you could be here for that, uh, you can help put some of these things together. VBS registration, right now we're doing this um, on Facebook, on, on, on Rush Church's Facebook page, and I, I wanted to talk about this a little bit. The reason we're doing it on the Facebook page and not on the website <clears throat> is that we have, we're going to switch over very quickly to a different host for our website, and we want to make sure that once we switch, we don't, uh, you know, lose anything or something doesn't work or whatever it is. So we've just said, right now, just go to Facebook to sign up. We like to have everything on the website, but since we're making that switch, we want to make sure everybody gets a chance to sign up for VBS. You can see the rest of the things on there, Promotion Sunday, that's coming up next week, and uh, there's all kinds of serving opportunities at the Welcome Center, so you can be there for that. Also, <clears throat> Luke's class is canceled during second service. Um, got that message earlier today, and I wanted to pass that along. Uh, he's got a good class and a fun class, but second service today, it's canceled, so keep those things in mind. Happy Mother's Day. Oh, you're welcome. Mother's Day. I tell you, I, I, you know, this is, this is the day when we get to reflect back. You know, upon not just, not just love and not just care, but also a great deal of sacrifice. And, and frankly, <clears throat> if you're a mother, a great deal of what, what can be hard times. Some suffering as you go through and watch and see your kids grow and your kids learn. One of the hardest things, and you've probably experienced this, uh, that a parent goes through is watching their kids go through trial. 
Their kids go through hard times. Their kids go through storms, as it were. I mean, they're just, they're just you, you know what I'm talking about, right? You, you just think to yourself, I, all I want to do is take it. I'll just, I'll just take it. I'll take it from you, and then you won't have to deal with this. You won't have to go through it. And when it happens to you, you think, well, I can, I can bear up under this, and, and I understand it, and I can get through some of these things. But, man, if you're a mom watching your kids go through some of these storms, or if you're a dad watching your kids go through, that's just that's painful, isn't it? That's painful. Sometimes it's, it's the greatest pain that we can experience. We don't see that. We don't recognize that, I don't think, when we're kids. But, but when we grow up, we can begin to realize some of those things. We've seen a lot of storms over the past few weeks. Well, we've, we've talked about at least three storms. Storms we go through in life. This whole, this whole year, we're talking about light. We're talking about Jesus as the light. You and I as the reflection of this light. And we've seen a few storms. We know that the sun is still shining behind the clouds. We've seen storms of power, storms of revelation, storms of faith, storms of strengthening. Last week, as we looked at Jonah, we saw storms of correction, storms of correction. Today, though, we see storms of opportunity, storms of opportunity. You know, how do I know if something is a storm of opportunity or a storm of correction? How do I know if it's a storm of opportunity or a storm of correction? One of the things we need to ask ourselves whenever we find ourselves in the storm or walking through the valley is, how did I get here? How did I get here? Or what have I done or not done to warrant this storm? And you'll find, if you ask this question, and a, a truthful, genuine reflection on your life, what have I done to warrant this storm, sometimes you'll come back with the answer, Nothing. <laughs> I haven't done anything to warrant this storm. I haven't done anything to earn this storm as far as a correction goes. Now, Jonah, Jonah fled from the commands of God. We know. We know that God loved him enough that he wasn't going to let him go. He says, no, we're going to go through some discipline here, pal. We're going to go through some correction. But there's other times in your life when a storm hits, and as you genuinely and truthfully reflect upon your heart, your mind, and your actions, you say to yourself, there's nothing I've done to warrant this storm. This is not a storm of correction. And yet, we're going through a storm, a hardship, a difficult trial. You might just be facing a storm of opportunity, a storm of opportunity. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. We love you for who you are and for what you do. We love you, Father, because you care about us. We love you, Father, that you love us enough to allow us to go through storms in our life. We ask, Father, that you help us to see those storms for what they are, moments of correction, moments of strengthening faith, but also moments of opportunity. Father, help us today for our perspective to change, our eyes to be open. Help us to be true and honest and accurate to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. If you found yourself going through a storm, certainly even a storm of opportunity, you're not the first one. There's another guy that went through a storm of opportunity, and this guy, he knew who he was. I mean, he, had, he, he didn't have an identity crisis. He knew exactly who he was. He knew what he was meant to do. He knew what he was going to do. He knew what he was born to do. From a young age, he was trained and guided and set on a particular path. Put it this way, his parents would have been proud because he did it and he did it well. 
a, a path of, of prominence, a path of, of authority, a path of wisdom. And others knew it as well. They saw him as one who would someday take over and sort of assume his rightful place of, of, of leadership. His whole identity was wrapped up in this role, his station, his position. And frankly, he was good at it. In fact, he was better than most at this spot and at this position. Some would say he liked it very much. Not only that, he had the added benefit of knowing that it was right if done properly. That it was right, it was good, it was honorable, and it was noble. His life was set. He knew who he was and what he was meant to do until the storm hit. Until the storm hit. But this storm that he went through was not a storm of rain and wind and lightning and thunder. It was a storm of light and glory. Why don't I get, why don't I get as many amens from you as I get over here, huh? Getting all kinds. Keep it up. Keep it up. This was a storm of glory. It was a storm of light. And this storm had so much power that his very identity got flipped upside down. Everything that was will never be again. In great irony, he was blinded. That's a storm. Yet because of this blindness that was imposed on him, he truly saw for the first time what he was meant to become. And you and I and the rest of the world for the past 2,000 years have benefited from the opportunity that this man seized in the middle of the storm. And this wasn't the only storm that Paul faced. Paul faced many storms in life. The other storm you can read about in his life was a physical storm. Yes, the one of wind and, and rain and, and waves and, and danger, <clears throat> kind of like the ones we've been reading about. It was not a storm of correction, but it was a storm of opportunity. Turn to Acts chapter 27. Acts 27. Paul became a prisoner. I'm going to sum up some of his life. He becomes a prisoner of Rome, handed over by what many people say, many people call his own people, that's the Jewish people. Um, I disagree with that. Paul loved Jesus. His own people were those who loved Jesus. That's how that goes. If you think your own people are something other than those who love Jesus, no matter where they come from, what they look like, right, what their history is, you've got it wrong. Those who love Jesus are Paul's own people. He got handed over from those who didn't love Jesus. He got handed over to Roman guards, and he became a prisoner. That's a storm. After years of service to Jesus Christ, Paul becomes a prisoner. We have seen and can see time and time again that there are storms of correction, and when that correction is embraced, the storms begin to quiet. But we've also seen in the case of Jesus calming the storm, Peter walking on the water, sometimes storms happen in your life because of your service to the king, and this is one such case. But like Jesus calming the sea, like Peter stepping out of the boat, or Paul becoming a prisoner, these storms often are moments of great opportunity. So Paul stands before the king, and he gives his testimony about Jesus Christ. Finally, he appeals to Caesar because he thinks that he's going to not have a chance, not have an opportunity to continue to talk about Jesus. And so he appeals to Caesar. As a Roman citizen, he gets to go to Caesar and talk to Caesar about Jesus. 
It's decided that he and other prisoners would sail for Italy, so they boarded a ship. They did some port hopping and some island hopping on this long journey to Italy. And this is where our story picks up, Acts chapter 27, starting in verse 14. Before very long, a wind, uh, a wind of hurricane force called a nor'easter swept down through the island. The ship was caught up by the storm. It couldn't head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. This is Luke writing about this from the first person. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cotta, we were hardly able to make the lifeboat secure, so men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes underneath the ship itself to hold it together because they were afraid that they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis. They lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. So Paul is arrested. Now he's in a storm in the middle of the sea. Things have gone from bad to worse for this man who has given his life over to serving Jesus Christ. Verse 20, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, the storm continued to rage. We finally gave up all hope of being saved. And this, this is the temptation. This is the temptation in the middle of the storm. Hopelessness. Hopelessness in the middle of a storm of opportunity, even. When we haven't yet identified what that opportunity is. Hopelessness. We threw up our hands. This is despair in the midst of a storm. Church, this is a dangerous place to be, hopelessness. Hopelessness spreads. Hopelessness affects you and those around you. It's like a virus that spreads from one to another. Hopelessness robs us of our resolve it robs us of our perspective, of our joy. You know, John was just talking, hopelessness robs us of our energy, of, of, our, of, our, of our will to continue, even the energy itself of living life and continuing to fight. But behind the clouds, the sun is still shining, church. Continuing on in 21 through 25, after they'd gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, men... You should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. He told them that earlier. Then you would have spared yourself the damage and the loss. But now I urge you to keep up courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood beside me and said, Don't be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up courage, men. For I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Let's pause a moment here. Look at Paul's perspective compared to our own. Paul comforts them with the words, your life's not going to be lost. Only the boat's going to be lost. Only the boat's going to be lost. I wonder how many of us are tempted to think in the middle of the storm that if we lose the boat, We've lost everything. If we lose the boat, there's no sense in going forward. If we lose the boat, I've lost who I am, my identity, my purpose, my meaning, my joy, my hope, my work, my mission, my value. If we lose the boat, we've lost all of it. The house burned down. There goes the boat. Yep, maybe you did lose the job. That's the boat. There's even people in our lives, 
Sometimes our very identity are, are, is hung upon a person, a friend, a relative, rather than Jesus Christ himself. Perhaps that, that relationship separates. Perhaps they even pass away. What happens then? Do we lose all hope? The boat's being torn apart. And this, in the midst of a storm of opportunity, is often where we like to stop. Your job is a boat. Your abilities are a boat. Your beauty, your money, your reputation, which, by the way, is never as good as we think it is, right? Just ask somebody else. Your reputation's a boat. Let's get real serious. Your family. There's been families that have been separated because of the love of Jesus Christ that one pursues and others do not. Have you lost yourself? We say it's no use going on. We have many things in life that are important. Don't get me wrong. The boat was important, but it did not determine their life or their purpose or their salvation, church. You've probably been there at one point or another looking at the boat burn. And wringing your hands and thinking, how am I going to see an opportunity out of this? But, of course, this passage raises another question. The angel told Paul, hey, nobody's going to be lost. Nobody's going to die. Just the boat's going to be broken up by the storm. But you are all going to live. If an angel told me that and I was Paul, the first thing I would say to the angel is, well, then stop the storm. Why are we still going through the storm? If you're telling me that we're going to make it out the other side of the storm, then just stop the storm. But why doesn't God stop the storm? You know, we've gone through the stories. He can do that. Right? Peace be still. Why doesn't God stop the storm? The storm is still raging. The boat's going to be destroyed. Look, none of these are good events. No one's saying they are, but Paul understood something. He lived by something that we, frankly, church, have a hard time believing, or at least we have a hard time living out. Romans chapter 8, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and who have been called according to His purposes. Not our purposes, but according to His purposes. Who's the king in your life? What purposes do you pursue? Do you pursue your own and wonder why there's storm after storm after storm? Well, it seems like I'm always going through this, that, and the other, this storm, that problem, always behind, never ahead of the curveball. By the time you've gone through the storm, church, listen closely. This is why God continues to allow that storm to rage. By the time you've gone through that storm, your faith has prepared you to encounter what's next. After you've gone through the storm, you're battle-hardened. You're battle-hardened. And Paul's going to need to be battle-hardened for this wonderful opportunity that's going to present itself. Your priorities have been set, properly set. In the midst of the storm, we see the provision and the opportunities of God. We see the power of God, and we don't see our own weaknesses and hang upon our own weaknesses and the hopelessness that comes with it. We don't rest on our accomplishments, our own wisdom, even our own guile. There are times God wants us to go through the storm because the opportunity He has prepared for us, He needs you and I to be strengthened before we get there. 
So not one life's going to be lost, Paul. But you still got to work out a little bit before we get there. You need to be stronger before we get there. So the storm's going to keep on coming. Time of, you know, I can't tell you how many, how many wonderful moments in my life and in other people's lives have developed from storms. Developed from storms. Again, even in the middle of the night as you're standing out in the yard watching that house burn. Some of those things can develop into wonderful moments of life and different changes in directions. Acts 27, 39 through 44, when daylight came, they didn't recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. So cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea. At the same time, untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move, and then the stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping. But the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard and get to land. The rest were to get on planks and other pieces of the ship. In this way, everyone reached the land safely. Paul and the rest reached the, so- reached the shore safely through the storm. But now, now they're in a strange land. We're led to believe that they don't know what this land is. They don't know what this island is. Again, <clears throat> once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. So it's reasonable to see, it's reasonable to assume that they don't know what this place is. They've never been to this island. They're unfamiliar with this island. Church, this is what happens in the middle of storms of opportunity. In the middle of storms of opportunity. Look, if life looks the same way after the storm as it did before the storm, then it wasn't a storm of opportunity. That's what happens. Changes your life. Shakes it up a bit. Where is Paul? Paul is now in a foreign land amongst people he doesn't know. That's what happens in storms of opportunity. He's in a strange place, and this is what God does. He takes you from what you know, from what is familiar, what even gets us, what, what, what tempts us to put our security into this familiarity. He shakes up our life in a storm and then places us in a foreign land amongst foreign people. It might be a new relationship, might be new friends, might be a new church, might be a new job that's a foreign land, might be moving to a different place. Here we have foreign places. This is where Paul finds himself. Why? Because after the storm, it's meant to be different than before the storm. That's why it's a storm of opportunity. God has brought you to unfamiliar territory. And sometimes it takes a while, doesn't it, to get our bearings a little bit, to look at our life, to look at our resources, and then find our direction. Again, that boat that burned, that job maybe. Someone comes up to you and says, what are you going to do now? And your answer is, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know yet. I'm getting my bearings here. I'm going to find out what direction to move. I'm going to trust Jesus in my life. But even then, it's a storm of opportunity. It's all new to me. Maybe you're here today. Maybe you're here today because of storms in your life. And this is the first time you've walked in. You're in an unfamiliar place surrounded by people you're unfamiliar with. Same as Paul. 
28.2, the islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. He didn't know these islanders. He didn't know where he was. In a foreign place surrounded by foreign people, Paul had a choice now. Sit on the beach and lament and mope around for the loss of the ship and the new unfamiliar surroundings or unfamiliar people. That's, that's one direction he could have taken. Or get up and get to work. And often, right here is where we begin to realize what the opportunity was. Right here is where we begin to see what the storm is all about. Everything's changed. I can sit and complain. Or I can get up and I can get to work and I can do whatever I can with the gifts that God has given me. The first steps don't always look like opportunity, by the way. If you've gone through a storm of opportunity or if you're in a storm of opportunity, the very first steps you take very often don't look like opportunity. Here is God's premier evangelist, a former Pharisee's Pharisee, argued with and taught the greatest minds in the world on Mars Hill in Athens, performed miracles, founded churches, raised the dead in Acts 20. He pens the very word of God. And what is this grand entrance from this storm of opportunity? He stands up on the beach and starts collecting firewood. That's what he does. That's job number one. That's job number one. You see, he trusts Jesus with his life. It doesn't matter where he's put. It doesn't matter who the people are. It doesn't matter how many boats he's lost along the way. He has his very identity wrapped up in the truth and power of the king of the universe. Do you think this affects him? He's probably not pleased with it. I mean, this isn't, this isn't what he chose. He already told the sailors, hey, look, you don't want to sail away from Crete this time of year. It's going to be rough. But when he found himself in the storm of opportunity in a foreign land, he got up and he got to work. Look at chapter 28, 3 through 6. Paul, pile, Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a snake driven out by the heat fastened itself on his hand. Brother can't catch a break, can he? You ever, you ever been through the storm looking for the opportunity, think it's just going from bad to worse? Just worse and worse and worse and worse and worse. There is a reason, David says, while I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Through it, not around it, not over it, not figure out some way to get, get by, not figure out some way to outsmart it. David says, I'm going to walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and I'm not going to fear anything because I know my God is with me. Things get from bad to go from bad to worse, it seems like, for Paul. A snake comes out and bites him. Verse 4, when the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. Don't listen to that stuff. Don't listen to that stuff. God might be putting you through a storm because he loves you. And there might be a lot of people around you who say, what would you do wrong? God must hate you. You must have screwed up. You must have been bad. You must have done this. You must have been here. You must have done... Don't listen to that nonsense. A lot of times we go through the storm because God loves us that much. He says, I got a plan for you, brother, sister. We're going to go through this storm together. God, Paul knew a lot, about, a lot more about himself than everybody else talking about him. Verse 5, Paul shook the snake off into the fire. 
and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. Frankly, the way the store's been going at this point, so am I. It's got to get worse. But he didn't. After waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Now, look, I'm sure Paul corrected them very quickly about being a god. The same thing happened in Lystra. They called him a god, and he, he corrected them. But what was it that opened the door of opportunity? He ends up preaching to, healing, and teaching these people. In fact, history records that many of these people in this island for a generation have come to know Jesus and given their lives to Jesus. What was it that opened the door of opportunity? We see What we read here is he was bitten by a snake and felt no ill effects. The power of God was shown through Paul's life. But, but don't get fixated on the bite of the snake, all right? You may not have been bitten by a snake to kick off this new opportunity, but the overarching point is this. Bad things happened to Paul, and Paul's reaction to them was not what people expected. Bad things happened to Paul, and his reaction to them was not what people expected. They saw resolve. They saw courage. They saw joy. They saw perseverance. They saw the ability to work, to do what he could when he could. They saw the fact that God was leading him through this life, through this ministry, through this foreign land. That's the point. He gets hurt, and people think he's either going to die or give up. That's the reaction people expect. But what opens the door to an incredible ministry and the salvation of lives is that in the midst of the storm, Paul didn't act like everybody thought he would. Church, that's the testimony of the Christian. Bad things happen, yet I'm going to continue to trust Jesus and have joy. That's why people ought to, ought to, now, whether they do or not depends upon your reaction, but people ought to look at the one who follows Jesus in the midst of the worst storm and say to themselves, I want whatever he's got. Whatever he's got, I want it. I don't even know what it is. All I see is the storm raging, and he's whistling and singing. He's still working. He hasn't lost his identity. He hasn't lost his resolve. He hasn't lost his joy. He hasn't lost his mission. He doesn't assume his life is over. He's fighting right through the storm. Whatever he's got, I want. The tragedy is the opposite. That's also true. Hey, look, if following Jesus makes you angry, sad, and scared all the time, I don't know who this Jesus guy is, but I want him as far away from me as possible. In the midst of the storm is your greatest testimony, church. It's not on the bright, sunshiny day. It's when the things are falling apart, when the boat has been destroyed. When we don't act the way people think we ought to act or people think we're going to act, Paul continued to trust God in all these situations. Because of this trust, because of this perseverance, through the storm, through the shipwreck, through the snake bite, in unfamiliar territory with unfamiliar people, 7 through 10, there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. 
He welcomed him to his home, showed us generosity and hospitality. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went to see him after prayer, placed his hands on him, and healed him. When this happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways, and when they were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies that they needed. None of this has anything to do with the supplies that they given to Paul. It has to do with the fact that they came, were healed by a servant of Jesus Christ. Don't think for a second there wasn't a whole lot of conversation and teaching going on there. This is the power that Jesus has. And again, through history, we get to see that many of these people believed in and accepted the truth of Jesus Christ, literally their lives being saved. I don't know how many lives Paul saved. I've lost count. I bet he lost count. I bet he didn't even keep count. All the people that were saved because of of Paul, his work through Jesus Christ. Look, God wanted his premier evangelist to stand on an island of spiritual children with no way to leave, nor for a way for them to get rid of him. He was there to save lives and to show the power of God. It's reasonable to assume, and again, we do see this through secular history, that many of these people came to believe in Jesus Christ. God used imprisonment, shipwreck, a snake bite, illness to accomplish his good plan. And through it all, Paul's, God's message to Paul was the same thing. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Keep going. Keep going. You can't see through this storm, says Jesus, but I can. I can. Keep moving forward. That's exactly what Paul does. People's lives are saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you put us into positions to quite literally be your hands and feet to pull people out of the pit and save their lives eternally by the power of Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you love us enough to put storms in our life. That you love us enough to put storms of opportunity in our life and storms of correction in our life. <clears throat> storms of strengthening and faith in our life. I thank you, Father, that our entire identity, everything we are, what we are, who we are, where we're going, what we're doing, everything can be tied up, wrapped up in who Jesus Christ is. And there is no storm powerful enough to take away the light of Jesus Christ. Father, I go through storms. Your sons and daughters here go through storms. Help us, Father, to be looking at Jesus in the midst of it. Not to be looking at the waves not to be focused on the snake bite, not to be terrified by the foreign land or when the boats sink, but to know that you created us for a purpose. You created us for a mission. And we get to live that out every day. And perhaps, perhaps we gain the gift, the joy of one day, one day, someone approaches us and says, I'm here because you didn't give up in the midst of the storm. I thank you for that, Father. And I thank you also for the changes that we have seen, that we've seen in our own lives, that we've seen in the lives of loved ones around us. We have seen the strengthening and the changes and the perspective 
that are gained through hardship and trial. I thank you that you've given us the strength and courage and perseverance to see us through that. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing.
benedictions come lay them down at the foot of the cross jesus is waiting god so loved the world thanks wes energy oh we've got energy we know it's not going anywhere speaking of energy i'm filled with energy i see wanda back there hi wanda this makes my day We're all looking back where John's standing as he walked in the room applauding. John, we're glad you're here too, but we were thinking of Wanda at the moment. <laughs> we've, got, um, we've got something I, I, I want to do. I'm trying to see. I've got one. I've got, I've got one. Uh, two. There we go. Um, one of the things we did last week was a vote of affirmation for, for deaconship. Uh, the uh, elders made a decision, along with Russ, to make Brian and Kyle deacons of the church. We asked you, hey, do you agree with this? Uh, and so we had that vote of affirmation. They did barely squeak by, by 100%. So, you know, there's that. Uh, I think someone even put a message on one of them, said yes, definitely. Uh, so, uh, so, and they've been... They've been servants for a while now. Um, deaconship is very important. It's been around since the founding of the church uh, 2,000 years ago. There was a point in the history of the church where a lot of people, the congregation, the, 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 the fellowship, they needed, they needed help. They needed to share life together. Sometimes they needed assistance. Sometimes, it was, you know, we, we wanted to serve one another. And all of that is good. But it got to the point where the apostles were saying, hey, look, all of this stuff that we're doing in order to serve um, prevents us from teaching. We, we don't have time to teach. Everybody's, everybody's a part of this body, and, and we're running pillar to post. And we don't have time to teach, and we don't have time to provide the bread of life because we're providing, you know, physical bread all the time. And so they said, hey, look, let's just let's go to the church and say, pick some people, pick some men of wisdom, uh, full of grace and full of wisdom. And that's what they did. And that's, that was really kind of the beginning of deaconship in the church. And then as Paul writes his letters, he often writes to the bishops and deacons of the church. Um, that would be, you know, the, the servant leaders of the church. And so we continue with that, and we have deacons in this church. Um, Kyle and Brian, would you come up here, please? And I guess while they're at it, if you're an elder in the room, if you could come up here, too. And if Joe and Tommy, Randy, if you want to grab a microphone. Yeah, actually, you raise a good... You raise a good point that you were so carelessly joking about here a moment ago. It, it almost seems sometimes, sometimes it seems like you run through the motions. You do something like this once, and then we have two services, and you do it again. Well, I actually talked to Brian and Kyle about this. Sometimes um, ordination in moments like this we do once because of the significance of it, make that a special moment in life. Other times we do this in the first service and second service, not because... Kyle and Brian need to be reordained here, you know, an hour later, but because it's beneficial for, 
for everybody else, for everybody here. Um, it's beneficial for them also to recognize that Kyle and Brian are now being set apart. They're not more or less, you know, special. Their value has not changed, but they're set apart for a specific role and a specific service in the church of Jesus Christ that was established many, many years ago. And uh, so it's important for you all to, to experience this as well. So before we have a time of prayer over them and their families, I have some questions that I want to ask them, and, and they answered these in the affirmative um, uh, last service, so I'm hoping they'll give the same answer in the second service, right? So here we go, both of you. Kyle and Brian, will you seek to love the Lord Jesus and follow Him in lordship above anyone or anything, praying for a servant's heart? If so, answer, I will. Will you seek to be a spirit-filled man, and will you strive to lead others to Jesus by living out the character of Christ? If so, answer, I will. Will you be diligent in maintaining the unity of this fellowship, and will you uphold the Bible as the inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God as it claims for itself? If so, answer, I will. Will you aspire to fulfill the requirements of a deacon, spiritually and in practice, as laid out by the scriptures of this church? If so, answer, I will. Would you two take a knee right here? While you're doing that, Russ, would you come up here with us, please? I'm going to ask Joe and Tommy and Randy uh, to pray for these two as all of us lay hands. Before I pray, uh, with Judd handed out the, earlier in the week, the, the, uh, the uh, design for the, today's ordination, uh, sure. it got me thinking. Uh, the questions that were asked you guys, um, I figured out I was in their position about over 40 years ago. Uh, and when I was standing or kneeling, uh, I was wondering to myself, what in the world have I got myself into? I was really scared to death. And I even grew up in the church, so why would I feel that way? Well, there's reasons. But uh, what I, I want you guys to look out, like you did first service. And these are people who are going to have your back. Uh, one of the things, and I got appreciation for that. Some of you are here today. I didn't say that first service, but there are people who were there that day 40 years ago, uh, believe it or not. And I appreciated that. But what really got me uh, settled down was this. Uh, the elders that were behind me, who are all gone now, by the way, uh, prayed for me. And uh, that's, that really stuck with me to this day. So that's what we're here to do, is to uh, not let you know you're on your own, and we're all here for you. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you so much for these two guys uh, and their families. Uh, the support that they have there, the support that they have here in this room, and the support they have behind them today. Let them know that uh, the questions they answered are tough ones, uh, but not uh, they are not things that cannot be achieved on their own, but with all of us working together. In Jesus' name. Father, we continue our prayers for Brian and Kyle. We just ask, Father, that you their hearts in a way that would help them be good servants for you and uh, that they would be willing and able to uh, just
take on the responsibilities that will be uh, requested of them as time matures. But Father, also we want to look to their families, uh, of their spouses and other family members. As uh, we pray for these two, we also pray for those family members that they'll be uh, supportive of these men and uh, their role, but also that they will be uh, encouraged by what these men have stepped forward to do, to be uh, stewardships of you and, and your church here at Retrovania. And Father, we just thank you so much that you have sent these two young men. We just give you the praise. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Father, we just lift up Kyle and Brian and their families. We just ask you to, uh, to watch over them, protect them, build them up. Father, as uh, we know that as people seek you and try to come closer to you and try to serve you, Satan comes at them even harder. Satan doesn't have to go after those that don't follow you because he already has them. He can focus in on those trying to come closer to you. We just ask you to build a hedge of protection around these families and help them to grow closer to you and serve this church with all that they have. We pray this in Jesus' name. Father, we want to expand our prayer now, having prayed for these two, to all the deacons, Russ, Troy, uh, Jeremy, Brendan, Troy, or uh, Cole and uh, Andy, so that the group we support, the group we uh, pray for, and we want to pray for the congregation that these deacons will serve, and we also want to pray that the congregation will help them serve. Bless this church and all that come here, in Jesus' name, amen. There you go. Well, I appreciate those two taking on that role. Um, recognize their, their names, recognize their faces, and uh, if there's any issues or problems or questions that you and the church have, don't bother me with them. Take them to those two, okay? Kidding. Oh, that's a joke. It's just a joke. A um, <clears throat> couple of things, housekeeping things. Before we go too much further, uh, volunteer sign-ups uh, for VBS. You've been able to do that for a while. You can still do that, uh, but that, those need to be handed in. The decision, I guess, needs to be made in your own mind, your own heart by June 11th. Please, please, by June 11th. That's really going to help us out a lot. Um, uh, we, we have things that we need to order for that and different people that are volunteering. So if you want to volunteer to help for Vacation Bible School, Please have that filled out. It's a form that you can fill out in the hallway there uh, by June 11th. One, one form per person so we can make sure we get the right amount of supplies, the right amount of T-shirts, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so if you want to volunteer for that, please do it by June 11th. And we usually have a lot of volunteers uh, from everybody just saying, yes, I want to help out. Um, lately, we've been having one volunteer 
uh, per for every two kids that we have, and, that, and that's a lot. We, we're shooting for 130, 140 kids, which means we have a lot of volunteers, uh, people participating in that. Uh, it, it comes from everybody saying yes and, and participating. Also, we have a work day on, vac- on uh, the 20th, working on Vacation Bible School stuff, uh, just different crafts, different uh, decorations, different, I mean, just all kinds of things. And you could be here for that. That's May 20th. I'm going to be here. Laura will be here. A bunch of other people will be here. Uh, start about 9 in the morning, start putting some things together and help us with that. You can also register now your kids online at, uh, on our Facebook page. Now, usually, we like to run everything through our website. It's a lot easier, simpler, you know where to go or what to do. We did not do that with this. This is all on the Rush Church Facebook page. We, ha- we did that for a reason. Very shortly here, we're going to switch over um, web- our-, our website host. Okay, It's going to go from one company to another. And that's going to happen here in just a couple of weeks. We didn't want everybody going to the website and then us switching over our host and something happening, you know, something not being able available or backed up or something lost, okay? So this time you just go to the Rush Church Facebook page um, and uh, sign your kids up for, for VBS, or you can do that, you know, hard copy here at the church, all that kind of stuff. Uh, other things are happening, promo uh, Sunday's happening on, on the 21st, and there's all kinds of ways in which you can serve the church and be involved in different things that we need done, and you, you are fun to participate in. You can do that at the Welcome Center. We have been talking about various storms, <clears throat> storms in life. This whole, this whole year is about light, light of Jesus Christ, and the, and the fact that we get the chance, not only are we, we are commanded, but we get the chance to reflect the light of Jesus Christ towards others, into others' lives. Uh, it's this kind of light that helps reveal reality, uh, what, uh, what our mission and purpose and value really is. And we, we've, because of that, or part of that, we've looked at some of the storms. Almost when that light is covered up with clouds, we've seen some of the storms in life. And, and we, we've seen three storms so far, and these have to do with uh, uh, storms where God's revealing His power, some sort of revelation, uh, 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 strengthening our faith, or providing this opportunity to show courage. We've also seen, like last week, storms of correction. We looked at Jonah's life. Jonah screwed up. He knew he screwed up. There's many people that screw up and know they screw up. Sometimes they deny the fact they screw up, but we screw up. And God sends a storm, not because he hates us, but because he wants us to be corrected. He says, you're moving in one direction. I want you to move in another direction. And it wasn't until Jonah confessed. It wasn't until he said, yep, you're right. He told all the sailors, this is happening because of me. I screwed up. I screwed up. And that was the moment that God was leading Jonah to. We saw storms of correction. <clears throat> Today we look at storms of opportunity. Storms of opportunity. How do you know? How do you know if it's a storm of correction or a storm of opportunity? Because usually we default into either thinking it's a storm of correction <laughs> or it's a storm of just God picking on us. One of the two. You know, it's either a storm of what have I done wrong or this is life and it's hard and God's picking on me. He's not letting life be easy for me and so on and so forth. How do we know that it's a storm of opportunity and not a storm of correction? It is, as Paul says, you need to examine yourself. It is genuine personal reflection. 
As we look at the valleys we walk through or storms that we wade through, the question is, how did I end up here? How did I end up here? You may ask the question, what did I do to warrant this type of storm in my life? And many times, if it's a storm of correction, you come to the understanding, you come to this realization that we are walking in a direction or a way and a path, we're living our life such that God does not want us to live. However, there is the reality of being in the midst of the storm or being in the midst of the valley, and you ask the question, what did I do to warrant this storm? And the answer is nothing, nothing. I'm not running away from the commands of God. I am not running away from becoming and developing the character of Christ in my life. I haven't done anything. As a matter of fact, that's the storm we see today. We're going to see someone in a storm today, even after this incredible service to Jesus Christ and His kingdom, giving over his life completely to Jesus Christ and His kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank You. We thank You for who You are. We thank You for what You do, Father. And we thank You also that we can have our eyes open, that we can maybe gain a different perspective today when we look at the various storms that we go through in life and certainly even a storm today, a storm of opportunity. Father, we know that there are so many things that on the surface, they they seem to look bad. And yet, if we just trust you with them, if we trust you and persevere, we realize that you can do wonderful, wonderful things in our life. So, Father, we ask that you help us to be true and accurate to your words we teach today. In Jesus' name, amen. Mother's Day. Mother's Day. You know, by the way, happy Mother's Day. I haven't seen my mother yet today. I haven't, she's usually sitting around here, first service, and she wasn't there. Um, Hope she's okay. I think she's all right. They were out west. They're on their way back. Uh, Mother, I'll tell you, it's it's difficult going through storms, trial, and trouble in your life, but that's not even the hardest part. The hardest part is when your kids do. You ever notice that? That's just the hardest thing in the world, when your kids go through storms, when your kids go through trial, when your kids go through struggle. If you're anything like me, you just say, you know what, why don't I just take that? I, just give that to me, right? Just give that to me. That way they won't have to deal with all of this stuff. But the things that's happening through these trials, storms, tribulations, some of the things that our kids go through, and certainly as we go through, it is building us up. It's actually strengthening us. It's making us battle-hardened. It's increasing our faith. And in fact, sometimes it changes the direction and course of our lives to build us into exactly what God wants us to be. We see someone in Scripture that went through a couple of storms in his life, and this guy, he knew who he was. He knew who he was. He knew what he was meant to do. He knew what he was meant to be, what he was born to do. From a young age, he was trained and guided and set forth on this particular path. In fact, uh, it was a a good path. It was a noble path. uh, it It was a place of authority. And uh, put it this way, his parents would have been proud this path that he was on. And frankly, others knew it as well. They saw him as one who uh, would take over someday and sort of assume his rightful place of leadership. His whole identity was wrapped up in this role, this station, this position. And frankly, he was good at it. He was better than most that came before him. Some may say that he liked it very much. And on top of all of that, he had the added benefit of knowing that it was a right thing to do and a good thing to do if, if, done properly. It was honorable and it was noble. His life was set. He knew who he was and he knew 
what he was meant to do until the storm came, until the storm came. And this storm changed everything about his life. Now, this wasn't a storm of wind and rain and lightning the way we think of storm. No, this was a storm of light and glory. It was a storm of such power that his entire identity was flipped upside down. Everything that was will never be again. And in great irony, in the midst of this storm, he was blinded. That's a storm. Yet because of his blindness, or this blindness that was imposed upon him, he saw for the first time who he was truly meant to become. And you and I and the rest of the world for 2,000 years have benefited from this storm of opportunity that Paul seized on his way to Damascus. But there was also another storm in Paul's life. And this one, this was a physical storm. This was the one with the wind and the waves and the rain. And like the ones, the storms we've been talking about, it was a storm not of correction, but a storm of opportunity. Turn to Acts chapter 27. And I'm going to summarize a little bit. Paul, after years of evangelism, after years of establishing churches, going on missionary journeys, Paul becomes a prisoner, a prisoner of Rome. Now, that's a storm. And he was handed over to the Romans by the Jewish people. Some may say Paul's people. I I, I never liked that. I, I don't like that idea. Christian. The Christian is Paul's people. The Christian is your people. That's that's what this is, your family. So Paul was handed over by the Jewish people, the Jewish leaders, to the Romans to be made a prisoner. And again, we've seen time after time that these storms, there's many, many storms for correction. And when that correction is embraced, then the storm eventually begins to quiet. We've also seen in the case of Jesus calming the storm or, or calling Peter out onto the water. Sometimes these storms happen during our service and in many ways because of our service to the king. And this is one such case. But like Jesus calming the sea or Peter stepping out of the boat or Paul becoming a prisoner, these storms are often moments of greater opportunity to do what we were created to do. So Paul stands, he's arrested, he's taken before King Agrippa, he stands before King Agrippa and gives his testimony before King Agrippa, Festus, and Bernice. He then appeals to Caesar. As a Roman citizen, Paul can do this. If things aren't going his way, he can tell the local magistrate, hey, look, I appeal to Caesar. I don't know how long it's going to take, but that's ultimately what I want to do, and so that's what he does. It's decided then that Paul will travel to Rome with a bunch of other prisoners. They'll sail for Italy. They board a ship, and they did some port hopping and island hopping along the way, this long journey to Italy. And this is where our storm picks up near, not really the end, but, but getting on to the end of Paul's uh, time, Paul's missions, Paul's lessons. This is where our story picks up. Acts chapter 27, starting in verse 14. They're on the ship moving towards Italy. Before very long, a wind of hurricane force called a nor'easter swept down from the island. The ship was caught by the storm and could not head into the wind, so we gave way to it and were driven along. This is Luke recording this in the first person. As we passed to the lee of a small island called Cuda, we, could hardly, we were hardly able to make the, boat, the lifeboat secure, so the men hoisted it aboard. Then they passed ropes under the ship itself to hold it together. 
Because they were afraid they would run aground on the sandbars of Sirtis, they lowered the sea anchor and let the ship be driven along. We took such a violent battering from the storm that the next day they began to throw the cargo overboard. On the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. So Paul gets arrested, gets sent on a prison ship to Rome, and on the way, a storm hits. Things are going from bad to worse, right? This is where the storm goes. The intensity of the storm and this life storm and this part of his life increases. Verse 20, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and the storm continued raging, we finally gave up all hope of being saved. And this is the temptation in the middle of the storm. This is the danger. To give up hope. To stop trusting Jesus. To give in to despair. Church, hopelessness is a dangerous, dangerous place to be. Hopelessness quite literally hurts you. Hopelessness affects you. It affects those around you. Hopelessness is like a virus that spreads from one person to another. Hopelessness robs us of our resolve. It robs us of our perspective. It robs us of our joy. Hopelessness even, you've you've experienced it, it robs us of our energy. We were just talking about energy. It robs us of our energy. You ever think about that? You're hopeless and you don't feel like doing anything. That's what hopelessness does. When we say, I'm not following Jesus anymore. I'm not keeping my eyes on Jesus anymore. I'm keeping my eyes on the problems. I'm keeping my eyes on the waves. We've already talked about this. And I'm keeping my eyes on myself. There's where hopelessness begins to creep into our lives. Instead of keeping our eyes on Jesus, robs us of our very life. But behind the clouds, the sun is still shining. Are those sneezes or amens? Is that what they are? All right. Sorry, Mark, just picking on you. I'm just teasing. Just teasing. Chapter 27, verse 21 through 25. After they'd gone a long time without food, Paul stood up before them and said, Men... You should have taken my advice not to sail from Crete. This is what he told them before they got into this mess. Then you would have spared yourself this damage and loss. You can go back and read that. But now I urge you to keep up your courage because not one of you will be lost. Only the ship will be destroyed. Last night, an angel of God, to whom I belong and whom I serve, stood beside me and said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand trial before Caesar. And God has graciously given you the lives of all who sail with you. So keep up your courage, men, for I have faith in God that it will happen just as he told me. Let's pause for a minute here. Take a look at Paul's perspective compared to our own in the middle of a storm. Paul comforts these sailors and the Romans, the Roman guards that went with them. He comforts the rest of the prisoners. He comforts them with this. Your lives won't be lost. Only the boat. Your lives won't be lost, only the boat. And that's meant to comfort them. You see, here's the problem. Here's the, pro- here's, what we, here's the trap we fall into. I wonder how many of us, once we realize the boat is going to be lost, we think everything's going to be lost. Once we realize the boat's going to be lost, We think everything's lost in this storm. If the boat's taken, what's the point of continuing? 
as the house is burning. Some people in our church have been through that. We, were, we went through that as kids. That's the boat sinking. When I've lost the job, that's the boat sinking. Well, if I lose this, if I lose the investment, if I lose the job, if the relationship breaks up, if the house burns, that's the boat sinking. Paul says, don't worry about the boat. <laughs> don't worry about, the, you're going to be fine. You're going to make it to shore in the middle of this storm. Sometimes we look at the boat sinking and we think all is lost. What's your boat, by the way? What's your boat? Do you have a boat? Do you have a boat? Do you have something? Do you have something in your life that if you lose it, you're going to be afraid that your life is destroyed? What's your boat? Many people have different boats, jobs, abilities, right? Your physical prowess, physical health, beauty, your money, your reputation, which, by the way, is never as good as we think it is. Just ask somebody, right? We, we can get real serious about a boat, though. Family? Parents lose kids? No secret, mom and dad went through that years ago and others in this church. We don't want to pretend that people are a thing. But when we lose something that we think is special, close to us, do we give up completely? Do we lose all hope? Paul says, guys, only the boat's going to be lost. You're still going to be here. You still have hope. You still got a job to do. You still have mission and purpose. And again, this is meant to comfort them. If I'm riding on a boat through the Mediterranean Sea and somebody comes to me and says, by the way, before you get to where you're going, the boat's going to sink, I wouldn't take that as comfort. But from Paul's perspective, it's comfort because he knows we're still going to live. We're still going to exist. We're still going to have opportunity. We're still going to have the chance to work, to live, to sing, to worship, to love. That your mission, your purpose, your value, who you are, what you are, why you are, all that's not taken. It's still there. Only the boat's gone. we got to be willing to give up the boat. Sometimes we're forced to give up the boat, but I think we need to be willing to give up the boat. The boat is important. Don't, don't think that it's not. But the boat does not determine their life or their purpose or their salvation. By the way, this passage raises another question. Number one, we're almost out of time, why it takes me so long to get here. That's the first question. Second question is this. An angel came and told Paul that he and the others would be spared. All right? My first question then, if I'm Paul, is then why is the storm still raging? Right? I was approached by an angel last night. The angel said, you, me, the sailors, everybody on the boat, we're going to be spared. We're going to be perfectly fine. Some hand in the back. Raise it. Paul, then, why does the storm continue then? What sense does that make if we're all going to be spared anyway? I've asked that question. Why does the storm continue? Look, a lot of bad things happen, and none of these things are good. 
But Paul understood something. He lived by something that I think we can have a hard time believing or at least a hard time applying to our lives. You've heard this from Romans 8. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and have been called according to whose purpose? His purpose. His purpose. Paul realized this. He understood this. Jesus says the same thing in His ministry prior to the crucifixion. There's so many hours in the day, and you work those hours. He said, look, I believe the Father, and I'm going to accomplish what I need to accomplish. Point is this, why does the storm continue? Because by the time you've gone through the storm, your faith has prepared you to encounter what's next. It's prepared you to encounter the opportunity at the end of the storm. You're battle-hardened by that time. Your priorities have been properly set after the storm. It's in the middle of the storm that you see the provision and the opportunity of God instead of relying upon your own strength, your own ingenuity, your own worldly wisdom, your own guile, whatever it is. Or it keeps you from focusing on your own weaknesses. Don't rest on your accomplishments, but rest upon the provision and protection and direction of Jesus Christ. Bottom line is, God loves you. And because He loves you, He sends storms in your life. Sometimes storms of opportunity, sometimes storms of correction, sometimes storms to strengthen your faith, sometimes storms just to show His incredible power as He did before the disciples after He calmed the storm. But because He loves you, storms happen in your life. And sometimes He wants you to go through them. But that's what David says. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, not over it, not around it, not make up some excuse why I can't go through it. He says, I'm going to walk through. We've talked about this before, haven't we? Have we? Okay. I lose track. One of God's favorite words is through. Through, through, through. I want you to go through. I want you to be changed as you go through. I want you to be strengthened as you go through. I want you to be sanctified as you go through. And this is what happens with storms of opportunity you got to go through the storm. And you're going to come out on the other side and recognize that opportunity. Look at verses uh, 39 through 44. When daylight came, they did not recognize the land, but they saw a bay with a sandy beach where they decided to run the ship aground if they could. Verse 40, cutting loose the anchors, they left them in the sea and at the same time untied the ropes that held the rudders. Then they hoisted the foresail to the wind and made for the beach. But the ship was struck uh, the ship struck a sandbar and ran aground. The bow stuck fast and would not move. The stern was broken to pieces by the pounding of the surf. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners to prevent any of them from swimming away and escaping, but the centurion wanted to spare Paul's life and kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and get to land. The rest were to get their own planks or other pieces on the ship. In this way, everyone reached land safely. Paul and the rest reached the shore safely through the storm. But now, now what? Now they were in a strange land. We're led to understand that Paul is unfamiliar with this place. Acts 28.1, once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. In other words, they were unfamiliar with this place and with this land and certainly with these people. That's what happens, church, in storms of opportunity. If life is the same after the storm as it was before the storm, that's not a storm of opportunity. You've not recognized the opportunity, the change, the challenge, the gift. Sometimes after a storm of opportunity, you're going to find yourself in a foreign position surrounded by people you're not usually with. 
Happens every time you change a job, right? Go from one job to another. Move from one house to another. You might be here today for the first time because storms are happening in your life. You're in a foreign place surrounded by foreign people. Or at least some weird ones. That's what happens with storms of opportunity, church. So that doesn't mean you need to wring your hands and say that God hates you or this is lost or I hate being here, whatever it is. Your life has now changed from what it was before the storm. Now you're on track for some opportunity. God brings you to unfamiliar territory. Maybe you've lost a job in the past. I, I don't know why I keep using that example. It's just an easy one to use. Somebody said, what are you going to do now? You say, I don't know. It's all new to me. It takes a minute to get your bearings, to realize the resources you have, and to find the direction you want to move. It's the same thing Paul does. Verse, 20, or, uh, verse 2, chapter 28, the islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was rainy and cold. He's introducing himself to new people, staying there on the beach. He doesn't know what direction to move yet, but he's planning on moving. In a foreign place, surrounded by people he didn't know, Paul has a choice, same choice you and I do in storms of opportunity. We can sit on the beach and lament and mope for the loss of the ship and the new unfamiliar surroundings and the unfamiliar people. That's fine. You can do that if you want to. I'm not going to hang around there with you. The other option is you can get up and get to work after storms of opportunity. You can get up and get moving. And it's often this moment that we begin to realize the fruit of the storm of this opportunity. And by the way, the first steps don't really look like opportunity. <laughs> Here's Paul. This is God's premier evangelist, a former Pharisee's Pharisee, argued with and taught the greatest minds of the day on Mars Hill in Athens, performed miracles, founded churches, raised the dead in Acts chapter 20, Pins the very Word of God. And what is his grand entrance after this storm of opportunity? He's sitting on a beach and he gets up and starts collecting firewood. That's it. That's it. But he's going to make use of the time he has and the place in which God's put him. Because he realizes his life is in the hands of Jesus Christ, the Creator, the Master. Verses 3 through 6 in chapter 28, Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, snake, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. The hits just keep on coming in the middle of these storms, don't they? It just seems to go from bad to worse, and this is going to be the same way many times in the storms you face in life. We can give up. By the way, you can't give up at any moment here if you want. Nobody's going to force you. Nobody's going to force you to keep going. Nobody's going to force you to continue to have joy, peace, focus, mission in your life. Every moment, every, every storm cloud, every snake bite, you can give up at any moment. Nobody's going to stop you. Nobody's going to make you keep going either. This is your choice. Your choice. Not anybody else's. Paul continues to keep going. He has his hand bit by a snake. The islanders saw the snake in verse 4 hanging from his hand. They said to each other, this man must be a murderer, for though he escaped the sea, the goddess justice has not allowed him to live. Don't listen to those people in your life. 
You're going through a bad thing in your life. You're going through some sort of storm in your life. Well, I guess God hates you and you screwed up. Hey, look, sometimes the storm's a correction. Sometimes it's not. So don't listen to that. You put your hope and your faith in Jesus Christ. You say, Jesus, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to say? Where do you want me to go? How do you want me to change in the midst of this storm of opportunity? Verse 5, Paul shook the snake off his hand and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. Frankly, at this point in his life, I am too after reading this story. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. Now, I'm sure Paul corrected them very quickly and said that he's not a god. He had to correct many people and say that he's not a god multiple times in Scripture. But what is it that opened the door to this incredible opportunity? Paul's going to end up saving the lives of people on this island. What was it that actually opened the door to that? He was bitten by a snake, and he felt no ill effects. The power of God shone through Paul's life. That's really the point. You may not be bit. I don't want you to focus on the snake bite, okay, because you may not be bitten by a snake to kick off this new opportunity. But the overarching point is this. Whether it's the storm or the snake bite or half a dozen other things on his journey, bad things happen to Paul. And Paul's reaction to them was not what people expected. That's the bottom line. Bad things happened to him, and his reaction was not what people expected. At any point, he's going to yell, he's going to scream, he's going to curse, he's going to give up, he's going to walk away, he's going to lay down and die, he's going to quit. He's going to think life is just terrible and horrible and ugly. And At no point is Paul's reaction what people think. Your greatest testimony, church, is in the middle of the storm. To maintain joy and peace in the middle of the storm. To maintain your mission, your value, your purpose in the middle of the storm. To maintain hope in the middle of the storm. To realize that we live in a fallen world and in that fallen world bad things happen, but every one of these storms can be used. Used for God's glory and your good, whether it's a storm of correction, a storm of power, a storm of faith, or a storm of opportunity. In the middle of the storm is when people are watching you. You want a powerful testimony? I'm not going to give you a sunny, bright day. It's in the middle of the storm. And every time, Paul says, no, we're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. Yeah, I realize we lost the boat. We're going to keep going. I haven't lost me yet. Yeah, I realize I'm a prisoner of Rome. I'm going to keep going because I haven't lost me yet. I realize I just got bit by a snake. Come on, God, even I've got my limits, Paul's probably thinking. No, he says, I'm going to keep going. And it was an incredible testimony. Yeah, people thought he was a god, and that's not true. But at least it opened the door then on this island. What does he do? He goes to the official of the island, ends up healing the official's father. And when everybody hears about this, they start, all these people on this island that Paul's never been to, has no idea what it is, all these people start coming to Paul. It's in here somewhere, trust me. Verse 7 through 10, there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official on the island. He welcomed us to his home, showed us generosity, hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him, and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. Healed him. Then... When all this happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. You don't think there was some teaching going on? You don't think every time somebody came and was cured, 
Paul told them about the truth of Jesus Christ and the power of Christ in their life. How many lives did Paul save? How many lives was he at least the instrument of salvation? I've, I've lost track. I've lost track. I guarantee you Paul lost track. He probably didn't even count them. Life after life, home after home, family after family, for all we know, generation after generation. Because Paul was in a storm and realized that this was a moment of opportunity to change people's lives forever. And I'm not talking about just a couple of days forever to change their lives. That's a storm of opportunity. Unless those are things you don't care about. I mean, you might not care about those things. I suppose that's possible. You do need to ask yourself who it is you follow if you don't care about those things. Paul cared about these things. He cared about lives being changed by Jesus Christ. And all of it was because of a storm, a terrible thing, that he realized was an opportunity. God wanted his premier evangelist to stand on an island with spiritual children, with no way to leave and no way for them to get rid of them. He wanted them, or he wanted Paul to share the truth, the power of Jesus Christ, and he got him there through a storm. Yep. He used imprisonment, shipwreck, snakebite, illness, all of these things to accomplish his good plan. Why? Because he loves Paul, not because he hates him. Because he loves him. Through it all, God's message to Paul was don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Keep moving. Keep moving forward. This is the opportunity, Paul. This storm, this is the opportunity you've been looking for. This is the opportunity you've been looking for. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you do provide storms. Sometimes, Father, storms of correction, and those are hard. (laughs) Sometimes, Father, you allow storms of opportunity. And frankly, Father, sometimes those are harder. Help us to see. They're hard because we can't see. Help us to see that perseverance and following Jesus and and relying upon Jesus for our value and our mission and our purpose, relying upon Christ, helps us to see these opportunities. The salvation of lives, the building of relationships, the glory of Jesus Christ himself, whatever this opportunity is. Father, help us to see through the wind and the waves and realize that you love us. Help us to heed correction and some other storms of discipline. Help our faith to be built, our courage to be built, our awe of your power to be built in many other storms as we rely upon your provision, your protection, your direction. I thank you, Father, that we can see, that we can see the stories, the lives of your servants and realize that in so many ways we go through the same things. And yet we know you've told us, we've seen, we know how much you love these people. And you love us too. Even while the boat's sinking. I thank you, Father. I thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand and sing.
drink of the water, come and thirst no more. Church, you're going.